Special delivery. The mail's here. On this episode of the Nerd By Word, Dave and I will be answering your submitted questions. Plus, as always, we keep you abreast of all important news in nerd realm and two detective-centric nerd commendations. The Byword begins now. Greetings and salutations once more. Welcome to another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast, the only show that subjects a traditional Superman fan to troll-infested Twitter spaces and watches the Snyder Bros slowly but surely chip away all vestiges of hope and optimism. I'm Chris, he's Dave, the aforementioned Superman fan, and we are here to submit an offering upon the altar of the nerd gods. In today's episode, we'll be answering the questions that you, our listeners, have submitted to our social media pages. Now, if you're concerned that you may have missed your chance, rest assured that we are continually fielding questions for future episodes. Simply reach out to us on Twitter and or Instagram at NerdByWord or use the hashtag AskTheByWord or send us a DM and we'll be more than happy to save your submissions for the future. But first and foremost, Dave has a news story that is hot off the press and has me casting off all insecurities and jumping for joy. Dave, what is going on? Yeah, arguably the best Spider-Man movie ever, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, yes, you heard me right, it's the best, is set to get a sequel. Although information about the next installment, likely once again focused on Miles Morales and his contact with Spider-Man characters from across the multiverse, has been hard to come by. Some casting news has finally spilled out. Issa Rae, the star of HBO's acclaimed comedy drama Insecure, has joined the voice cast as Jessica Drew Spider-Woman. Now, I hope all the nerds listening are at least somewhat familiar with the character, but if you are not... Uh, Jessica Drew uh, debuted in the comic books in 1977 as Marvel's first Spider-Woman. Her origin has been revamped and tweaked several times, but in essence, she got her superpowers due to her parents' experiments. Her spider powers actually vary greatly from Peter Parker's, and she even served on the side of the villains for a while working with Hydra. Eventually, she'd end up on the Avengers roster for a while. Now, Drew's a great character, and what we have here with Ray is a really inspired casting. And I'm excited to see this character come to life on the big screen. Spider-Verse was a fantastic movie. I'd argue it's probably the best thing that Sony has done when it comes to comic book movies. Uh, And this news just further cements my excitement for the sequel. Chris, what do you think about this casting? Oh, man. If if you saying that Into the Spider-Verse is a hot take, then it is the hot chicken soup with meat substitute for my vegetarian soul. Uh, It is... By far and away the best Spider-Man movie. All love to to Tom Holland and and Andrew Garfield. Yeah, there's my hot take. Um, anyways, yeah, Into the Spider-Verse is, is just the best. It is um, one of those movies that I can just put on and feel good about things. Um, I thought that in, in a lot of ways it served even as a better origin story for Miles Morales uh, than a lot of his comic book, uh, you know, stories ha- have done. Um and Issa Rae is someone, as a creative, as as an individual that I have 
followed through the years and absolutely enjoyed everything that they've done. Um, so I'm so excited to see her here. And like, even as soon as this news broke last night, like the fan art imagining her as even like the live action version um, it has just been, you know, just a joy to behold. And I think it's, it's a really inspired casting to, to borrow your phrase. Um, and, and I'm super excited about this. Jessica Drew is, is one of, if, if you have not done a deep dive on like the creation and, you know, inspirations behind the character of Jessica Drew, just at the, the onset, I heavily recommend it's, it's a wild and messy thing. Uh, but they work its way. It, it worked itself out um, into a really complex and, and con- an intriguing character, you know, um, who ultimately was even an Avenger. So um, I'm really excited to see this going forward. I absolutely adore the first film and I need more. Yeah, you know, and, and I do too. Um, the animation style in particular really kind of blew me away when it comes to this movie. They they managed to do some really unique stuff with the animation. Um, pretty experimental in a lot of ways. And I'm really excited to see how they how they build on those visuals. There's just a lot to be excited about. The, the writing was a lot of fun. The humor was spot on. The characters had a lot of heart. And, and then ultimately, you know, the animation too. So yeah, this is this is great news. Uh, this movie just cannot get here soon enough, Chris. Yeah, and and I think back to um, Oscar-winning director uh, of Parasite, Bong Joon-ho, who said, you know, people who thumb their nose at foreign films, it's like once you get past that one-inch obstacle of subtitles, you open yourself up. I'm paraphrasing heavily, but like you open yourself up to this big, wonderful world. And and I think that and in, in a lot of ways, animation is the same. A lot of people thumb their nose or poo-poo animation and they don't enjoy the bliss that is, you know, things like Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels because, ooh, that's animation and I'm better than that. So um, I think, you know, Into the Spider-Verse is far and away the best Spider-Man film. And, and if you are, you know, standing on the sidelines because it's animation, you're really missing out. Yeah, if you have a if you have a sense that somehow animation is beneath you, then clearly uh, you can't be much of a comic book fan, since you know here too we're talking about you know art, you know at, rather than having live action, you know people portraying these characters. So I mean, if you love comic books, why not love animation as well? Now, Chris, uh, you're bringing us to the world of Marvel Comics, where we got some creative team shakeups coming. What have you got for us this week? So Al Ewing and Donny Cates are performing a Freaky Friday swap, uh, at least in terms of the Marvel characters that they're going to be writing about. Cates, alongside friend and artist Ryan Stegman, will pen his final issue in their illustrious Venom run with issue number 200 later this month. The pair have completely revitalized the character with a degree of care and attention to detail that stands alone, truly. Uh, in turn, spawning two universe-wide crossovers, Absolute Carnage and, most recently, King in Black. This November, however, Kate's and superstar artist Ryan Otley of Invincible and Amazing Spider-Man fame are going to relaunch the Hulk title following the conclusion of Ewing's Eisner Award-winning Immortal Hulk with September's issue 50. The cover for the first issue, along with some interior panels, were revealed in accompaniment with this press release, and I have to say that they're absolutely breathtaking. On the flip side of this deal, Ewing and superstar writer Rom V 
will be co-writing the new Venom title, also releasing in November. And the press release leans heavily into both writers' background uh, and expertise in the horror genre. Ewing and V will be joined by artist Brian Hitch, and the solicited art is teasing a return to the cosmic aspects of the character. The idea that we could be getting a horror space comic is incredibly intriguing. Dave, the first ever nerdy was awarded to the Immortal Hulk, so you're something of an authority figure on this. What's your take? Yeah, you know, I've heard excellent things about the current Venom run, obviously. And as you've mentioned, I've spoken uh, time and again about how awesome the Immortal Hulk has been. Now, admittedly, uh, and I know this might be heresy, but Venom is not exactly my favorite character. So I generally don't follow him too much outside of, you know, crossovers with uh, Spider-Man. The creative team shakeup on both of these series is obviously due. Both creative teams have accomplished a lot. Uh, and at some point, unless you want you know things to get a little stale, uh, you, you have to shake things up a little bit. And the creative teams for both books to swap, it's very, uh, very smart. Um, and, and you have two excellent creative teams here. And still, you know, I think the Immortal Hulk is pretty da- damn defining. Uh, it, it's a defining run on the Hulk character. And following a defining run like that, no matter how good the creative team is, is always going to be difficult. I'm going to continue following the Hulk after this shakeup. And I will probably continue to not follow Venom uh, because it's just not really my character. But I want to see how things shake out, particularly for the Hulk. But I'm going to be honest, man. The new Hulk team has their work cut out for them. Immortal Hulk was, you know, once one of those once-in-a-lifetime runs. Extremely special, character-defining, with a completely fresh take on the character, which is so, so very rare in comic books today, that somebody can come along and have a completely new take on a character that's been around for, you know, 60 years or something like that. So, yeah, I think they have their work cut out for them. I'm, I'm going to be watching, but uh, here here's hoping it works out. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> I'll completely echo your sentiments. So um, maybe we're going against the grain here. But Venom is, is just not um, a character that, you know, catered to my interests. And that's completely okay to each their own. Um, I think the, the Venom storylines that I enjoyed the most um, are the ones that he's directly involved with Spider-Man. So they really play on that, you know, inversion um, you know, of, of all the things that Peter Parker Spider-Man is, um, you have that yin to the yang, so to speak. So, um, and, and so it was really, and it's really a testament to the craft of, of Stegman and Kate that I, you know, I picked up absolute carnage, um, and, and was really intrigued by it, a, a character that, um, really didn't do anything for me in a lot of previous iterations. Um, I'm currently in the midst of an Al Ewing read through all of his Marvel stuff has come highly recommended to me. So I'm, I'm still uh, in 2014 uh, as far as that read through goes, but I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. And um, uh, I think, I think it's really interesting that we basically have this kind of switcherooski with, with uh, the writer's, um, but I've also heard great things about Ron V. I don't want that to be lost in this press release either. Um, uh, the Many Deaths of Layla Starr has come highly recommended to me. It's on. It's at the very top of my to-read pile. And I highly anticipate that it's going to be um, a nerd commendation coming very soon based on what I've heard. Um, and another great Boom Studios book. So I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do at Marvel as well. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, I, I don't want to come across as negative because these are excellent creators who are probably going to craft some excellent stories. I mean, that's what they do. Um, but again, you know, it's just, Immortal Hulk is just something that was deeply special uh, to me. And, and it's not quite done yet. So I'm, I'm still enjoying the ride a great deal. Um, and following something like that is just it's going to be difficult no matter who the creators are, I think. Absolutely. Uh, that is an unenviable task. Uh, no doubt about it. All right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. When we return from our first break, we're going to be hitting you with a mailbag. Not across the face, not literally hitting you with a mailbag, but we will, here, let's let's try that again. We're going to be opening the mailbag to answer your questions. That sounds much more docile and enjoyable. Stick around. Listen, DC movies are the worst. They can't do it. They copy Marvel, but they Stop. don't do it well. Stop it. They're the worst. Think about it. Suicide no, Squad. No, no, Fail. Green okay. Lantern. Flop. Okay. I, How did they make okay, Ryan Reynolds okay. bad? I agree. <laughs> How do you do it? I agree that the live action sucks, but man, the animated stuff is where it's at. They did it right there. You need to check that out. All right. Man. All right. You have a point. Well, to hear yeah, more stuff like that, <laughs> listen to us on VCM Reviews. We review video games, comics, movies. We debate, we chat, we discuss. We love our nerdy hobbies. I'm Zach, your host. And I'm Caleb, your host. Please come check us out. VCM Reviews. Welcome back for today's Byword Big Talk. We are diving deep into the mailbag to answer your questions as submitted to our social media pages. And again, if you missed out on this episode, be sure to follow us, tweet at us, shake an angry nerd fist, if you will, at nerdbyword on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, First question. Comes from Twitter, our pal the tech lord at Lex Pendragon. He asks, I read My Little Pony to my daughters and was impressed by how they were made. Netflix's She-Ra wasn't my She-Ra, quote, at all, but they did it well. Hey, nerd by word, what is the best not made for you thing you've actually enjoyed? Dave. Is there anything truly not made for somebody? I mean, I know that I have always had a tendency to leapfrog across genres, gravitating towards, you know, interesting characters and and premises, no matter where I find them. I see where Lex is coming from, of course. It's all about, you know, target audience. Who were the creators targeting when they made this thing? And yeah, there have been plenty of times I was not the target audience and still loved the nerdy product. I think the most defining for me was probably um, Sailor Moon. I came across the anime as a kid. And strangely enough, Dragon Ball didn't really interest me at all. But Sailor Moon, that had just the right uh, ingredients to pull me in. You know, superhero battles, reincarnation, an epic love story, a great sense of humor, the camaraderie between the characters, you know, the sheer epic nature of the storytelling. It all had me hooked very quickly. Um, Now, obviously, the target audience for Sailor Moon was primarily, you know, girls, but that never stopped me before. I still have a soft spot for Sailor Moon. I own all the manga volumes, and I've even watched a recent remake, Sailor Moon Crystal. And I I still love the property. I think it's it's very well executed. It's a good story. It's, you know, features interesting characters. And I think that kind of thing uh, transcends uh, the notion of target audience. Um, 
And I followed this up by also saying that, you know, Shira and the Princesses of Power on Netflix was fantastic. You know, similar reasons to Sailor Moon, actually. Epic storytelling, strong camaraderie between the characters, battles with friggin' swords, great sci-fi elements. I mean, it simply landed for me. So, yeah, I really don't give a crap about who something is made for. If it connects with me, I'll read it, watch it, listen to it, and I'll do so proudly. So, uh... Lex, you say My Little Pony comics are pretty good. I guess I need to check those out. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> anime, for, for one reason or another, is just something that doesn't scratch that itch for me, um, by and large. So um, it's not really something that I've delved into. It's crazy because so many of my kids um, are are head over heels into it. Um that it's really odd and maybe something I need to, to revisit and give it another shot. But, you know, just growing up, it's just not something that, that caught to me, uh, that really grabbed me, I should say. Um, so maybe it's something I need to revisit. So Chris, did you have any uh, thing that you really love that was just not targeted at you? Dave, we're going to go really off the rails here with the first question. Um, uh, I don't know if this is particularly nerdy, but it's technically pop culture. So, I'm shooting from the hip here. Peppa Pig. Oh, Peppa! Tell Pig. me more. Tell me yeah. more. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, so, <laughs> you know, as a as a parent of young children, as I have been for quite some time, so I definitely see where Lex is coming from with this, um, particularly with a lot of of girls. I'm a girl dad. Um, so I was subjected to a lot of, you know, children's programming, uh, and have been over the years. Um, and, and Peppa Pig was just a revelation. It was one of those things where I would just hand off a tablet and then, uh, you know, it'd be playing on the TV as, you know, I'm cooking or cleaning house or whatever. And, and, you know, most of the time it's just mindless drivel, but Peppa Pig came on the screen. <clears throat> Peppa Pig came on the screen and I was like, what is this? Um, you know, and I'm not a huge Anglophile as, as many people are, but you know, <clears throat> there there is something about a British accent and and British jargon that that is just innately for me. I think it just draws in an audience for so many people, and um, the voice acting on that series is is just impeccable. Um, I'm, I'm also, uh, I full disclosure, my favorite literary device is alliteration. So just naming characters, Peppa Pig, Danny Dog, Pedro Pony, uh, even, even Pedro, Pedro is not the correct pronunciation of, of, uh, you know, a, a Spanish based name at all, but <clears throat> there's something just captivating by this, this little world of anthropomorphic animals and, and Peppa herself is is obviously the most endearing, the most captivating. Uh, and just the level of sass on this tiny little piglet <clears throat> is just inspirational. Um, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go super deep and intellectual on you. I was at a at a point when I encountered Peppa Pig in my life where, you know, my self-esteem was not at its highest. And seeing this little pig in her own world, you know, with this level of overflowing confidence and sass was just so awesome to see uh and and then it kind of evolved into like nothing short of a meme lord uh so peppa pig 
Um, and and just that that never ending source of sass and confidence. And, you know, uh, I, I'm a huge Peppa Pig fan. I'm going to be completely honest. I did not expect uh, to be talking about Peppa Pig today. I'm familiar with the property, but I've never actually, you know, watched any of it myself. So uh, now you've got me incredibly curious, and I think I need to check out Peppa Pig. Well, just wait till that that bouncing baby boy, you know, starts talking, and and then subject him to Peppa Pig, and and you'll both be uh, in for a world of entertainment. <laughs> All right, our next question comes from our pals. Uh, we actually had a crossover with, so so go back and check that one in, in the archives. You can find them on Instagram at nerd.nostalgia, the Nerd Nostalgia podcast. Um, they ask us, what do you think will happen in the next Marvel phase? The burning question, Dave, what do you think? I mean, if you have a burning question, you probably should consult a doctor. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> sound healthy. Now, what what do I think will happen beats me. I mean, at this point, it's really anybody's guess. What do I want to happen? I mean, that that's probably something I can probably, you know, give a little bit more input on. But what will happen? Look, after watching WandaVision, I think everything is up in the air. Uh, I think we finally might be entering a phase of the MCU where they're willing to take some risks. I mean, you know, in the storytelling, they've always been willing to take risks with, you know, characters that are a little uh, underappreciated or offbeat, like with guardians of the galaxy, for example, but actual risks in the storytelling and, and how they structure things. I think we're starting to see something new coming along there. So I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I have a list of things I'd like to happen. I'd love to see Spider-Man get a movie free of the baggage of Tony Stark. I really, really, really want to see a Avengers movie entitled New Avengers. I hope when they integrate the X-Men into the MCU, they don't try to veer too far off the classic interpretation just because they are desperate to make something that is different from the Fox X-Men movies. I want to see the Netflix heroes make the leap to the big screen, particularly Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Same actors, pretty please. And I want the Fantastic Four movie to lean strongly into bonker sci-fi rather than watered-down superheroics. Make it something different. Mostly, though, I just want the MCU to continue to diversify. Like I said, they've made some great strides with stuff like WandaVision. Now, when I say diversify, I'm talking about, you know, experimental storytelling. Not every movie should feel and look the same. Try new things. Really lean into some of the more crazy, obscure corners of Marvel. Uh, I think they have the coffers to absorb an occasional miss uh, if something doesn't land with the audience at this point. So let's just let's start really playing around with Marvel properties and do something different. That's what I think, Chris. What do you think? I really think that, you know, what's the old adage? The more things change, the more they stay the same. And, and I don't want to be a wet blanket on this, <clears throat> but I think we are we are in the stage that um, we were in previous phases where we kind of venture out, but then kind of come back in. It's kind of like uh, the the bellows of you know, the that you would use in a fireplace. You fan them out, and then you come back kind of in, so to speak. Um, I think we are admittedly going completely in different uncharted directions in in terms of storytelling and character work with things like Wandavision, um, <clears throat> specifically Wandavision. Falcon and the Winter Soldier felt like a continuation of uh you know something like captain america the winter soldier 
very much in the same. I, I think while I enjoyed it, I felt like it was just like just um, um, a process of, okay, how can we tell <clears throat> the, st- the story of Sam Wilson becoming Captain America beyond just handing off the shield? So I felt like that was um, not as adventurous, if you will, as... Um, something like WandaVision or what it looks like Loki will be. Um, At the same time, I think we're going to venture out, find this new cast of characters, and then kind of arrive back at um, the, the uh, arrive back at go collect our $200 with a team up film. Like we're going to do with multiverse of madness. Wanda's coming back. Um, You have, it's strongly hinted. I don't even know what the hell to believe with the Spider-Man movie. I've stopped putting any stock in any of these rumors. I'll believe it when I see it on the screen. Not even necessarily a teaser because we may get a Ralph Boner type situation. Um, so I'm suspending all disbelief in, in anything Spider-Man related, but I, uh, you know, as far as, you know, uh, looks like we're building towards a Young Avengers type of film property team up thing with, um, you know, Eli Bradley uh, with with uh, Kate Bishop. So it kind of looks like we're going out kind of like one of those age old movie tropes of where you go assemble the team, pun intended, uh, and then come back towards the center. It's just going to be a different cast of characters. It's not going to be Chris Evans, Captain America. It's not going to be RDJ's Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man. Um, the one, the one interesting thing that, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing and, and I'm completely biased here is, is what they do with the character of Thor, because Hemsworth is the only one that, is kind of the old guard that is persisting, who has not moved on. Um, he's just kind of evolving into this completely different um, type of character. So it's been really fascinating along alongside Ruffalo's Hulk to kind of keep, see that character evolve. And Love and Thunder is probably my most anticipated MCU entry, um, aside from you know more Monica Rambo content. Um, more and more and more, please. Uh, so it's a long way to say, I think it's going to be a different cast of characters, but a lot of the same kind of formulaic thing where you go find a new team and they, you know, have this galactic threat, you know, maybe it's Galactus or or whatever, if you're introducing the, the FF. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's going to be different ways of getting to the same destination, but, but it's going to be a lot of the same as well. You know, that's what I'm afraid of more of the same. I I really do hope that it's not just going to be fresh faces going through the same motions as, you know, the previous faces. Here's hoping. I mean, you know, I I would, I would like for Marvel to take a little bit more risks ultimately. And and, and don't get me wrong. I, I want that. It's just, something intuition in me that is like, I I've seen this all before. So I'm hoping that I'm wrong. Um, but yeah. All right. Next question comes from our buddy, castle wolf Calder. You can find him on IG at castle underscore Calder. He asks us what current comic story running is your favorite. Now we kind of did this with uh our nerdy for best ongoing dave are you gonna go with the same thing or you gonna want to you know feature another title 
I think what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to go ahead and give you like really briefly four things I'm actually actively reading right now and that I'm still enjoying. Far Sector is one. I, I've talking, uh, talked a lot about Far Sector over the last few months. I can't say enough about how good this thing is. It's probably the best DC comic series published in years. A great sci-fi story with a fantastic new Green Lantern character. It just works on absolutely every stinking level. Uh, I've talked about Something is Killing the Children before, too, at Boom Studios. It's my favorite horror comic going right now. A new arc actually just started with issue 16, which seems to be the origin story of the main character, Erica Slaughter. This is kicked off uh, really well also. Um, fantastic again. Uh, just as good as the first arc so far. Um, over at Marvel, uh, as I, you know, have talked about a lot, I'm all about Immortal Hulk. It's probably, uh, my favorite book at Marvel. It's getting ready to come to an end. I've not really read a lot of Marvel regularly, basically, uh, Amazing Spider-Man and Immortal Hulk. Uh, so Hulk coming to an end kind of is depressing me. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the one that surprised me the most is probably, um, Bendis' Justice League. You know, I've been extremely down on Bendis' work at DC outside of probably his cancelled Young Justice book, which I thought was actually decently fun, despite a couple of missteps. It was decent fun. His Justing, Justice League has been surprisingly good. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the notion of putting Black Adam on the Justice League, but I think it's probably Bendis' best work at DC so far, and I find myself still reading it after a few issues, which is more than I can say for his Superman work. So those are probably the things I'm most actively reading right now, Chris. Yeah, it's super interesting that you say that because Bendis is is one of those creators that I, I have huge love for. And I haven't read anything of his DC stuff, but even with his you know later titles at Marvel before he jumped ship, it's kind of like, you know, to use a sports reference, it's kind of like they lost their fastball. And, and it's someone who immensely enjoyed their work. Um, and it seems like um, they don't have that same kind of spark. And for me, that's Jason Aaron uh, with what he is attempting to do on Avengers right now. Uh, we've talked about, we've made jokes about the whole Phoenix Force being Thor's mom. Uh, you know, I've got you know, Twitter friends that said uh, Scott Summers banged Thor's mom. So it's it's really odd um what they're doing there um you know after his his thor run i absolutely it was almost every single issue i just absolutely adored and you know i'm not sure what what he's trying to accomplish there on avengers uh sort you know it's we've also talked about it a lot it's it's really hard we talked about this with hulk to do something new with a character or the property that has been around for 60 plus years so with you know something like avengers you know, you throw something at the wall and sometimes it doesn't stick. Um, so it's really interesting to hear you say that your your Bendis is is writing something that you're enjoying. And, and that's that's very happy news for me. Well, it's not peak Bendis, don't get me wrong. It's not Ultimate Spider-Man or anything. But uh, he gets the voices of most of the characters quite right. The story is, you know, intriguing enough right now. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I've read Justice League runs that were really not enjoyable, and I just kind of stuck with it because I really just love those characters. Uh, but this time, you know, I've, I've read a lot worse. I'm actually enjoying this one. Now, Chris, what would you say is your uh, current comic book story favorite? 
Okay, so in addition to my nerdy award-winning ongoing series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, just fantastic. I can't say enough about that title. I know we could probably change the name of this podcast in some certain aspects to uh, TMNT gushing fandom. But um, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> other titles, obviously, of course, you know, I'm, I'm such a simp for, for X-Men. I'm, I'm reading every X title that's out right now. Um, my absolute favorite far and away is Hellions, uh, which I've nerd commended in the past. What Zell, uh, what Zeb Wells is able to do, um, sorry, I tried to combine his name into Zell's there. That was weird. Um, it's, it's an early morning. We're recording on an early morning today, guys. So please, please excuse. Um, Zeb Wells is able to do on that title, taking this motley crew to, um, to completely lean into the cliche of characters that have been bad boys and just write them in a refreshingly hilarious and honest way has been really fun to see in this, in this era of Krakoa where you are completely absolved of all past crimes. What do you do with your life now? And, you know, in a world where you are a mercenary and uh, a mass murderer, what now? So what do you do with the previously worst of the worst in an era where you're trying to really turn the page and to start anew has been really fun to watch. Um, and just completely leaning into the diva-ness of Mr. Sinister and watching him be nefarious behind the scenes in this puppeteer, uh, puppet master, I should say, uh, has been great. So Hellions is is one of my favorite titles right now um in addition to that okay i'm going to try to limit myself to one x book so there there that's the one i'm i'm, I'm gonna limit myself um let's see other ongoings that i'm reading right now i'm gonna go against the grain and spider-man twitter is you know very famous for being a, a very dangerous place to share an opinion but I am I'm really I'm really enjoying what Nick Spencer is doing on Amazing Spider-Man. I'm completely caught up, so I, I don't want to spoil anything for you, Dave. I think you're a little a little behind, but uh like like I just said, it's really hard to do something new with a character who not only not only has he had 60 plus years of, of stories published, but even more so than Hulk. Most of that time, he's had two to three titles being published. So he's probably at Marvel, the character who's been most written about. And just the sheer attempt to do something new, something that is kind of uh, in one hand revisiting that history and in the other hand pushing forward with something new. And the one thing that I will wholeheartedly push back on is this whole notion of slow burn and you're not giving me enough. You're 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 making me wait. Isn't that the idea behind comic books? Is to sell more books. When you're when you're a title like Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm I'm getting a little soapboxy right now, but that's okay. When when you're a title that is published bi-monthly, you know, a lot of titles are just trying to get one book a month. You're you're a title that comes out twice a month, and that's not enough for you. That is just laughable to me, and I think a lot of Spider-Man fans are just spoiled. Um, the Kindred storyline, uh, famously, 
or infamously is the one that people are probably most dissatisfied with um, as far as not enough detail. But I would push back and say it's not done. Um, as a fan of soap operas and long-running series and long-term storytelling, and as an avid novel reader, I'm here for the long ride. So I don't need that instant gratification where it's a three-issue arc. And, you know, I think a lot of modern comics um, are criminally writing towards the trade. And and I, I think Spencer is trying to do something different than that. And in some instances, it doesn't work. Um but in some instances it does. And I'll fully admit it's not all a hundred percent gold, but I am enjoying what I'm reading. So Nick Spencer's amazing Spider-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hellions, and let me see of another ongoing that I am enjoying. You know what? I'm breaking my own rule because I can. I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, Marauders. Uh, another X title, just the idea of, um, what they what they are willing to do as far as it's it's pirates, uh, it's pirates and mutants, and it's just a lot of like genre blending fun, um, taking underutilized characters like the Morlocks specifically in the last few issues, and giving them um, you know a place on uh, Madripoor uh, specifically has been interesting, you know. So um, I'm I'm really interested with with what Jerry Duggan and company have been doing there, and the art is fantastic. Um, so th those are my four titles, and that was really long winded, and I apologize if that was too much. Oh, that's not too much at all. And I will echo what you said about Amazing Spider-Man. Besides Immortal Hulk, it's probably the series I'm enjoying most right now um, at Marvel. And despite the fact that people have been very critical of the Kindred storyline and how long it's been sort of, you know, stretched to, I don't think this was ever designed to be, you know, one single arc in a larger story. I think the Kindred thing is the larger story. And I would not be surprised if the final wrap-up of the Kindred story uh, will also coincide with, with Spencer's uh, departure from the book. I think this is the, the overall arc that he is telling. And I think there's still a lot more to come before he's finished with it. So let that run slow burn in the background and enjoy the A storylines that he's telling. And that's sort of the, the overarching mythology. Um, it it kind of reminds me a little bit of the X-Files back in the 90s. Like everybody wanted every episode to be basically about the alien conspiracy. But that was sort of the overarching story of the entire series you know enjoy the standalone stuff with the monsters and stuff that was the good stuff you know yeah and i think that's and, and we've talked about this quite a bit on this show over the past year um you know even with some of our guests touching on this uh, coincidentally it's just it's one of the slippery slippery slopes of fandom is uh that sense of entitlement and if i don't get exactly what i want then i'm going to deride it um uh, you know to the nth degree um, and, and that's something that I want to avoid at all costs. So even if something doesn't, you know, vibe with me and it's not something that I wholeheartedly enjoy, you know what, there's so much content out there, just turn the channel or, you know, switch apps or pick up another book. Yeah, exactly. All right. So our pals at the oblivion bar, you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at the oblivion bar who they were recently featured on podcast magazines, top 50 hot podcasts. So congratulations to them. If you have not checked out and we are not, uh, 
by any means a territorial thing. We are very much open and welcoming when it comes to nerd podcast. We we love our brother and sister podcasts. So check out the Oblivion Bar. And they ask us, um, which DC hero do you think deserves their own HBO Max TV series? Dave, I am very much uh, the junior in this endeavor. So I'm going to com- wholeheartedly toss this one up to you first. Oh, here we go. I can think of a few. Uh, the thing about DC, of course, is that they have, much like Marvel, an incredibly deep roster of characters. And I would love to see some of the characters that don't get enough love to get, you know, a little bit of fun on HBO Max. So let's see. Uh, first, about, say, Manhunter probably would be great. Not Martian Manhunter, but Manhunter, specifically the Kate Spencer version. Uh, I think that character is just an absolute favorite of mine. Her series. Uh, is so underappreciated. It's uh, very much of its time, the little book that could. They constantly were trying about canceling it, and fans kind of just went into an uproar and kept it going uh, for a a significant portion of time. Uh, It's just a masterpiece that deserves more recognition. Uh, And I feel like the setup, you know, the district attorney who's secretly the vigilante, I think would work extremely well as the setup for a a great HBO Max series. And there's also, uh, you know, fairly good chunk of violence in the story that would lend itself towards the darker tone that HBO Max can take. I'd also love, love, love to see a question series as well. My dream setup would be uh, that the Vic Sage version of the character, you know, takes uh, cop Rene Montoya under his wing a little bit uh, and kind of starts training her as a future replacement because he's sick. Uh, It takes... He basically takes a good cop and then leads her down this rabbit hole of all these conspiracies and conspiracy theories and stuff. I loved Greg Rucka's take on Rene Montoya's evolution into the question in the comics and seeing something like that uh, and her relationship with Vic Sage's version of the character on the screen would be totally my jam. Let's see, um, what else DC would be really good for HBO Max? Oh, oh, Dial H for Hero would be fantastic. Uh, I think Dial H is one of those great underappreciated concepts anyways. Um, And having, you know, basically a more mature version of something like Ben 10 popping up on on HBO Max would be uh, a lot of fun as well. And, you know... I'm just going to put this out there. I would love for somebody to make Gotham Central into a TV show. You know, people always are like, well, Gotham was basically that show. It's supposed to be more about the cops. You know, Gotham was not that show. I don't know what Gotham was. After the first season, I kind of just fell off the wagon because that was not what I was looking for. I'll I'll tell you what it was. It was a hot, sick mess. That's what it was. Yeah, you know what? I I tend to agree. But Gotham Central is is such a deeply special show, taking this very much, you know, ground-level uh, cop perspective approach on all this crazy crap that's happening in Gotham City and in this really straight police procedural with all this fantastical stuff in the background. It probably stands as one of my all-time favorite DC comics. And seeing you know a more faithful approach to that concept, I think would be amazing on HBO Max as well. So there, there's your you know four that I think would be really really good. Chris, do you have any thoughts? Well. <clears throat> As a very casual DC consumer, um, and as far as comics goes, um, my exposure has been limited to uh, my homework assignments for this show. Um, so Blue Beetle, um, they're already going to do that. Stephanie Brown, uh, I think they're doing a, a weird iteration of that on on Batwoman. Yeah. So. <laughs> but um, 
I'm going to go full simp, wave the ride here. And uh, damn it, I want Journey Smollett in a Black Canary HBO Max series. Just, yes. just write the check. Just write the check. Join the hashtag. Gail Simone is with us. And if Gail is with us, who can be against us? So, um, I mean, for God's sake, she, uh, Journey uh, already turned in an inspired performance in Birds of Prey. Um, it's not exactly um, a break the bank kind of CGI budget that you would need. Um, and she's also a nerdy award-winning actress, subtle plug, on another HBO Max series, Lovecraft Country. So, I mean, come on, make this happen. Shut up. You've already got my money. Just do something smart with it, HBO Max, and make a Black Canary series starring the goddess herself, Journey Smollett. Yeah, you know what? I'll wholeheartedly echo that. Journey Smollett is absolutely fantastic in the role. I really enjoyed her take on Black Canary. I would love to see uh, her reprise that role in any way, shape, or form. On a big screen, on a small screen, I don't care. I would just love to see more of that character, Chris. All right, we head back to Instagram for another question from our pal uh, Jay Tiggles. You can find him on Instagram at J underscore Tiggles. I believe maybe even the same at on Twitter. Uh, But he asks us, who would you give a PS4 Spider-Man Arkham Batman series kind of game to if you could make one? He says, I think an Ant-Man one would be pretty cool if they put time enough into, or excuse me, enough time into it. Dave, do you have a hero that you want to feature in a solo video game? You know, Ant-Man actually sounds really good. The whole shrinking down and, you know, all the fun you could have with like, you know, this tiny dude in like, you know, these weird places where everything is ginormous. That sounds fun. But, you know, there's really only one guy for me when it comes down to that. And that's Superman, Superman, uh, Superman. How have we not gotten a good Superman game yet? You know, people on social media constantly talk about how making a Superman game is impossible because players will immediately use his powers on, you know, the civilian population because, you know, people are jerks. And that's just dumb. When I think about how much fun it would be to play a Superman, rescuing people, fighting supervillains, following an excellent story, dude, that's what I need. I want developers to create a game that makes players feel like they are Superman, just like the Arkham games made you feel like you are Batman. Uh, So Superman, Superman period. Where is our Superman game? Yeah, I think that's uh, just a really, okay, that's a really stupid idea like that you couldn't do that. Have you ever played games like, assassin's creed or red dead redemption that's even a rockstar game people people liken it to like a gta thing where you know you could just go on a rampage assassin's creed will literally and i'm not misusing that word gen x literally or is it gen z hell i don't know (laughs) assassin's creed will literally desynchronize you And your game will be over if you kill a civilian. So the idea that you can't have a Superman game because maybe you're telling on yourself and your sociopathic tendencies. Maybe you should check out uh, a therapist or, you know, get some sessions there, bud, because you can easily make that game where you cannot go on a civilian killing spree. So... 
like I, I, I would like to see that as well. Um, it, it's just mind blowing to me that, you know, one of the most identifiable, if not the most identifiable superhero does not have a video game. I mean, it, it's just mind blowing to me. Yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, Superman would be the guy for me. How about you, Chris? Who would you like to see in a video game? I don't know. I this one, um, this one it just popped into my head, and you know, again, a novice DC consumer. But I think uh, a Green Lantern game would be hella fun. Uh, I mean, going to space and you know, going to these different alien worlds. I think you know, an open world type of game like that, where you're going from planet to planet. And, you know, fighting evil, you know, I'm, I'm not well versed in whatever Green Lantern is, but just the concept of it would be fun. OK, now I can agree with that. The constructs and everything, you know, the powers that the ring has. Yeah, I can, I can see that being a crap ton of fun, Chris. All right. Our good buddy, uh, King Henry, the nerd. You can find him on Instagram at King Henry underscore the underscore nerd. He says, how do you believe the DC Comics Warner Media? Uh, moniker will fare under the uh, yet again new ownership with discovery you know chris i have to say i'm really liking that we're getting some dc questions this time around i felt like every time we do a mailbag it's mostly marvel stuff so yay dc uh i wish this was a question that i could answer you know with some hope but i I think it's probably going to be about the same it has been for dc uh, you know, these sort of corporate shifts often have very little impact unless, you know, they are willing to replace a whole bunch of people in their executive suites. And and that's always a toss up whether they'll do that or not, or not. The sad thing is Warner never has quite figured out what to do with DC properties. They show no love or care for the characters. They focus primarily on trying to milk as much money as quickly as possible from the characters The notion of showing them love and care like the MCU tries to do, paying tribute to some of the best comic book storylines, using those as jumping on points for movies, that seems to never really occur to them. So the fact that we haven't had a good Superman movie since the 1980s, for example, is really a crying shame. The way Warner absolutely bombed making a good Justice League movie, not once but twice, blows my mind. So what do I predict happening? Um, More Batman movies. Yeah, um, the only <clears throat> inkling that I, I have of hope, call it a glimmer, is that, you know, I, and I don't know the, the specifics of this, all of all of that news dump completely went over my head. I feel like those gifts of like the, the equation in the air and just that look of a confusion, uh, I don't understand any of that. But just me on the outside, if Discovery, a.k.a. the content creator, is in charge of things, maybe, maybe they can lead into the fact that they also are content creators primarily, and it's not the evil suits, overlords, uh, you know, AT&T. So maybe, maybe they will be able to kind of tap into those creative juices, if you will. Yeah, you know, that would be nice. I think there just needs to be a shift at, at the head of whatever, you know, corporate entity this is going to be that's a little bit more creator-friendly and and has a better understanding that, hey, you know, Disney and, and, you know, with Marvel was able to literally, like, print their own money at this point. There is no reason they can't do something similar with DC if they, you know, take the time and and really let creators take the lead with that. 
You know, I, I feel as far as like the perspective, you know, DC properties going forward, I feel like completely in the dark. Like when you start a video game and your mini map has absolutely nothing highlighted and it's just all completely in this intense fog. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably fair, Chris. All right. So next up uh, from Instagram, our pal nerd to ween nerd pool prime asks us um, and you can you can follow him at nerd to ween underscore and underscore a underscore holy crap uh, and movie underscore podcast for a second. I thought holy crap was part of his his screen handle. So, oh, yeah. So let's try that again. Nerd to ween underscore and underscore a underscore movie underscore podcast. Do you uh, do you guys agree that when Wolverine is introduced in the MCU, should Marvel hashtag make Wolverine short again? <laughs> you know what? Sure. I do think Wolverine should be short again. The fact that the other X-Men kind of tower over him is, uh, visually speaking, pretty interesting for the character. More importantly, though, when it comes to the introduction of the X-Men, I want him to wear the darn suit. I want all the X-Men to wear some actual superhero costumes. We finally moved past the perception that superheroes on the big screen can't wear their comic book costumes. So let's get the X-Men on the big screen in all their colorful visual glory. Short Wolverine? Sure. Uh, But also put him in the darn suit. I'm I'm actually puzzled by this question because I don't think that Laura Kinney is short. (laughs) Very good, Chris. Very good. That's the only Wolverine that I know. Oh. <laughs> oh, Logan? Yeah, he's short. I, I guess there's my sneaking suspicion. I, I don't anticipate it happening, but I want Laura Kinney as Wolverine on the screen. I don't know that we'll get it. Probably won't. But here's hoping uh, the far superior Wolverine. Um, I, I, Logan has, has just never been a character that really uh, you know catered to my interest uh, beyond the animated series. Um, shout outs to Cal Dodd. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, in all sincerity, yeah, I think it, it is an integral part, uh, of what should, what should happen. I mean, for Pete's sake, that's the whole joke behind the fastball special in that any of his teammates can just pick his short ass up and throw him. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's an important part of, of Logan is to make him short for sure. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right, our final question is a really interesting one um, from friend of the show, loyal listener, loyal supporter, Kevin Ewing. You can find him on Twitter, at Kevin Ewing 22 This is a deep one, and it seems a fitting one to end on. He asks, there seems to be a lot of negativity towards the 616 Avengers by the X-Men Online fans, and it is not exclusive to Wanda. Do you think the comics version of the Avengers deserve that heat? And if so, what do you think about X-Men fans that are also fans of the Avengers? Uh, I don't know if I'm the right guy to answer this, Chris. I'm, I'm not just not that familiar with the interplay between the two teams. Can you explain this to me a little bit further? Well, to summarize it very quickly, the Avengers are cops. Um, <laughs> so basically, kind of give you some background in this. Um, people who feel very strongly in this fashion are leaning heavy into the mutant metaphor. And if you're new to the mutant metaphor is uh, the idea of being a mutant um, 
has been throughout much of the X-Men's history, um, at least since, you know, Claremont came onto the title in the seventies has been used as a metaphor for any kind of minority. Um, more recently, um, it is widely accepted that the X-Men and mutants at large are written to be black coded and queer coded. So, um, the difficult relationship, the tenuous relationship that the X-Men have had um, towards the Avengers specifically, a lot of that stems off um, a very controversial run uh, or arc, I should say, uh, Avengers versus X-Men that had a lot of like ground shaking, earth shattering, universe changing uh, outcomes, not to mention the div- the abrupt divorce of of T'Challa and Storm that we've talked about uh, on the show before, and just the idea that um, kind of perpetuates the persecution of mutants. Um, so a lot of uh, X Men fans on X Twitter specifically, kind of the running joke is that the Avengers are cops, and you know, insinuating the difficult. Uh, relationship that, you know, and this, I feel completely unqualified to make a lot of this, you know, a a lot of these points, you know, being a a, a white man, but a lot of fans on X Twitter see it as an overarching metaphor for the tenuous relationship that uh, black Americans and, uh, black people around the world have with law enforcement um the avengers specifically it was it was a really kind of uh difficult you know kind of depiction particularly in that crossover event where a lot of people saw it as just another persecution of the x-men of mutant kind by the uh, law-abiding, you know, le- law enforcement, if you will, of the Marvel Universe. So it, it has been a very tenuous relationship. Personally, I am a fan of both. Um, that kind of is in jeopardy uh, the crazier this current Avengers run gets. But that is the basis. So I, I definitely ascribe to the fact that you can uh, subscribe to the fact that you can be a fan of both, of course. Um, it's just something that, um, you know, maybe you want to inform yourself about with kind of the subtext. And again, I do not in any way feel qualified uh, to talk immensely about this, but that is just what I have learned in my discussions with uh, friends on X Twitter. Um, that is the, the that is the gist of it, um, is that a lot of mutant fans who themselves are, um, you know, black or, or, uh, LGBTQ kind of see it as this continuous, uh, perpetual, you know, uh, pursuit of, you know, kind of, um, keeping minorities in check, so to speak. Now I will say that there are, um, a lot of mutant fans who are very, very upset by the Axis retcon, that Wanda is not in fact a mutant. So there are, there are Wanda fans on both sides of the fence there. So I have, I have encountered both. All right. Thank you so much for all those questions. Uh, When we come back from this, our final break, we're going to hit you with two more patented nerd commendations, detective style. 
All right, we are back for our final segment, the one that you came for, the one that we are most famous for. Nerd commendations. We are both putting on our detective hats. We've pulled out our magnifying glass. Okay, it's just getting cartoony. Dave, what's your nerd commendation? You know, Chris, we talked a lot about how much we both enjoy mysteries and detective stories, and even, you know, Peter Falk's Columbo. Well, since we're both nerds of crime stories, I have a pretty neat nerd commendation this week. Cold Case was a CBS police procedural that ran from 2003 until 2010. It recently made its way to HBO Max, which is fantastic news, especially considering it has never been released to DVD or Blu-ray. Cold Case follows Detective Lily Rush, played by Catherine Morris, who works as a Philadelphia homicide detective and specializes in cold cases, so those cases that happened some time ago and are not actively pursued anymore. This basic premise allowed the creators of the show to craft a pretty darn unique take on the police procedural. Episodes are littered with flashback scenes as Rush interviews witnesses and sometimes several decades after the fact. So you get uh, basically, you know, sort of like um, situations where multiple actors play the same roles, usually one as a young person in the flashback and then another as an elderly person in the present day scenes. Uh, The show also... uh, always uses period authentic music in its soundtrack, which is why the show has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray. Licensing of all of that music makes a release pretty darn expensive. The music plays uh, an incredibly important role in the show and really helps set the tone. Thankfully, the HBO Max release features all of the original music. The show's focus lies less on the detectives and more on the victims. Through the flashbacks, you really get a sense of these characters and the tragedy of losing them. Each episode is also punctuated with Rush and others involved in the case, seeing sort of like a ghostly apparition of the victim, a sort of final goodbye, which often hits with a lot of emotional punch. The show also is willing to explore difficult topics such as racism, sexism, homophobia, and police brutality. And as a fan of good acting, it's also fun to see several actors that would go on to greater fame pop up on the show as guest stars. Uh, In the first handful of episodes alone, uh, we get early roles from uh, Kate Mara, Summer Glau, and Brandon Routh, just to name a few. Uh, In short, the cases are interesting, the flashback gimmick works like a charm, the music is killer and sets the tone perfectly, the victims come to life as real characters, unlike most police procedurals, and the topics remain relevant today. The show packs a great emotional punch on top of all that. It's really a near-perfect procedural, and it's highly recommended, Chris. No, that's awesome. I remember when this show was running, like, I remember the solicits and everything, but I never did check it out. So uh, it's no secret how much I love detective procedurals, stuff like that. So I'm I'm definitely going to have to check this one out. Now, Chris, what are you nerd commending for us this week? So it made no secret who my favorite mutant is, and that would be none other than the... uh, the blue furry elf, if you will, uh, the German known as Kurt Wagner. So in a recent episode of uh, another podcast, I'm, I'm just sharing the love of nerdy podcasts, of, of Cerebrocast, which is if you're really looking for a place to start, um, you know, reading X-Men books or particular characters and you want to, you want to, you know, get the gist of it, basically like a graduate level deep dive on the character history. I highly recommend that. So I was listening to their Nightcrawler episode being that he's my favorite character. And uh, they were talking about the 2004 um, solo series uh, written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. 
with uh, art by Derek Robertson and um, really kind of perked my ears up because um, I, I had seen it in passing and, and never really heard a lot of, um, you know, a lot of fanfare for it. So, you know, it's was, it was only 12 issue run. So, and, and I recognized uh, Gide Sakasa's name based on um, his run on Sensational Spider-Man, um, a, a B-title book that I thoroughly enjoyed that was kind of running concurrent with the JMS run of, of Peter being a teacher. And I absolutely adored it. So I saw his name attached and I was like, I got to read this. And it was an absolute diamond in the rough, man. Just, I mean, all I have to say is um, Kurt Wagner is a paranormal detective. Like, I mean, what more do you need? So yeah. um, One of the, one of the absolute worst comics that I ever read was the Draco uh, by Chuck Austin. Uh, in, in which it was revealed all subst- all subtext literally be damned and that uh, Kurt Wagner's father is actually for all intents and purposes, the devil. And that's why he has that appearance. Um, so all of that beautiful kind of, you know, s- symbolism and, and of, of being a, the, this gem of a, an individual, despite your outward appearance to the world was just thrown in the waste bin or into the depths of hell. Uh, and so this was after that kind of storyline and it, it really kind of leaned into that without kind of the ugly parts of it. So just the idea, um, and here's the, you know, the, the synopsis from, uh, from Goodreads. The X-Men known as Nightcrawler is a man with a foot in two worlds. One, the daylight world of superheroes and supervillains. The other, a netherworld of demons and angels, ghosts and monsters, human and otherwise. So it was just like a really fun kind of detective comic, which I haven't um, had the pleasure of reading a whole lot of. But then you inject all these aspects, uh, thanks to... Uh, nerd nightmare this past October that I'm much more willing to dive into. And I feel uh, pretty brave about uh, enjoying. And, and this is, I'm, I'm already ready to give this next year's nerdy for the back issue gem or uh, best back issue discovery. It, it is absolutely just a, a really fun um, read. And it just, you know, kind of that genre blending, like we talked about with Army of the Dead, of multiple genres just completely intermixed of superhero comics with detective stuff, along with the supernatural and the occult. Um, it, it's pretty dark, and I'm pretty proud of myself that I, I read this with the lights off, and I didn't have to, you know, light candles and and start any incantations. But I absolutely love this book. Um, and I definitely want to um, follow Aguirre Sacasa's work, which quick Google search shows me that he is the showrunner or was, I don't know, about your favorite show ever. Yeah, he was. And uh, actually, this sounds actually perfectly right up my alley. You know, Nightcrawler, given his spirituality and the fact that he's German, always made him one of my you know favorite X-Men characters. And his current series is the only Krakoa series I've actually been able to really get into, which is hilarious. He's just such a fascinating character. And and when written well, always kind of rises to the top of a lot of these X-Men characters. And yes, I'm a big fan of Sakasas. Alone, his work on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina makes him a top-notch creator in my book. 
God, he knows how to capture the horror genre perfectly. So I was not aware of this book in any way, shape, or form, but it is now at the top of my list. I'm definitely checking it out ASAP, Chris. Yeah, I'm telling you what. Also, be sure to check out his run on Sensational Spider-Man. If you love the JMS era, uh, like I said, it is completely, in, in, in a lot of ways, I enjoyed it even more than JMS's run. Uh, it's just even more of those, you know, famously with Spider-Man B-Books, it's it's the outside of the suit stuff for the most part, um, except for a couple of pages in each book. So it is really leaning into that personal side of Peter Parker as a teacher, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And I absolutely adore it. And, you know, coupled with what next week's nerd commendation is, I'm really feeling like I'm an evolving as a consumer of, of nerd content, but there's a tease for you. Oh, all right. That wraps up another episode of the nerd byword. Thank you so much to all of you that submitted questions. Uh, this is always a fun episode to just kind of shoot the stuff and, and really get some interaction with our audience. So, we, we truly appreciate your support and um, be ready for next week because we are going to a galaxy far, far away, if I'm not mistaken, Dave. Oh, has the time already come to fix The Force Awakens? That's hard to believe, Chris. And as always, if you are wanting to engage with us, if you have something to say, please uh, follow us on our social media platforms at NerdByWord. Um, on Twitter and Instagram at the night, uh, the nerd by word on Facebook and subscribe rate and review wherever you get your uh, podcast from or nerdbyword.com. And as always stay well and stay nerdy. The nerd by word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things, pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.